You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, welcome to Informed, where today I am sat down across Zoom with Mike Betts. Uh, Mike's one of the apostles within our family of churches, Relational Mission. Um, great to see you, Mike. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, it's good to be with you. It's always a joy to uh, catch up with you. And uh, this is particularly nice. First time I've been on this podcast. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah, great to have you. And is that a tuba behind you? Uh, it is what's left of it. Yes, it's <laughs> sort of done the rounds in the church and people keep passing it on as a gift to everybody <laughs> else. And I've kind of, <laughs> I've inherited it at the moment, but when, when I got it, it was quite shiny, but now it looks like sort of, it's made of sort of <laughs> pewter. So it's, it's, not, it's not quite so, it's not quite so, you know, um, a piece, a showpiece now. But yeah. I think if I was to clean that, it would take me, a few hours with a toothbrush and some uh, Duraglit or whatever the stuff is you use. You're making me think we need a we need a city church Cambridge tuber that we can yeah. pass around between us. I yeah. need to pass it on as a gift to someone else. Surely, <laughs> I feel led. I feel led to give you this. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me and said you needed this in your life. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just we'll just weigh that word and yeah, um, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Mike, one of the things I like to do at the start of these podcasts is to ask my guests to tell us in one minute why are you a Christian? Gosh, well, why am I a Christian in a minute? Well, I'm a Christian because having lived life fifty nine years now, uh, I believe that jesus christ is the savior of the world i believe the bible is true i believe that everything within it commends itself to humanity finding the real meaning of life and everything else i've ever looked at or seen or heard or thought comes nowhere close to the authenticity that i believe um, the christian message is so i am persuaded by faith and by sight that it is the truth and it's the way, the truth and the life. So that's as near to a minute as I can get. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, and like, it sounds like you're saying persuaded because you've tried it and it works and you've seen the alternatives and they don't. Um, not just you sort of read some books and read some arguments and they, they added up. Yeah, I mean, I think going right back to my early childhood, I mean, my, my father sadly died when I was nine um from from asbestos related lung cancer an industrial sort of disease i suppose in wow. those days um but he said to my mother one of the last things he said literally hours before he died he was a christian he, he mm. knew the lord and he said to her i'll see you in glory and so it made a big impression on me even though i didn't actually become a christian till later in my teens which was simply because no one had ever really explained the gospel to me. But as soon as I heard it, I responded. But I'd had yeah. an awareness since that early time in my childhood that how can somebody, when they're about to take their final breath, speak with such confidence and certainty as if they were saying, oh, I'm just popping down the town or I'm just, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, I'll see you in a little while. Uh, yeah. And yet it was completely authentic, completely genuine. It wasn't like, well, I hope, you know, we'll see what, I'm sure there's something beyond the grave. No, he, he just knew where he was mm. going. And I've seen that since then in, in believers when they've 
come to to, to face death. I, I've seen that confidence, yeah. and I think that was the thing that really deeply embedded itself in 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 a young child's sort of mind and heart. Mm. Um, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You had something really precious modeled to you. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I think from then, you know, obviously you then go on your own spiritual journey, but you realize that what he knew, um, I now know, and it's very difficult to explain it to someone educationally or um, just as information. It's, it's like trying to describe a country to someone who's never been there. Uh, it, it's, it, but you know it's true because you've been or you live there mm. or whatever. Mm. Um, that's the frustration of being a Christian in terms of you know that people, if they did know what you know, not just in your head but in your very being, it would be life-transforming for everyone. Mm. But therein is the challenge of how to share the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, thanks, Mike. Um, it's just lovely hearing different people's answers to that question. Mm. Um, it does; yeah. it always does me good. Yeah. Um, I thought we'd be good to talk about um, apostles. Mm. Uh, so, uh, lots of lots of Christians, um, I guess, have tended to have the view that um, apostleship was something that happened in the first century. Um, there was one generation of apostles and it was their job to remember what Jesus said, write it down as scripture. And you know, now we've got the Bible. We don't need apostles anymore. Um, how, how have you responded to that kind of line of thinking? Well, it was very much how I was brought up to think within my sort of fairly conservative evangelical background. Um, but it wasn't until I sort of started to listen to people like Terry Virgo and others uh, not just make a pragmatic case, uh, but a biblical case. And I started to look at um, Scripture and actually think to myself, well, in Ephesians 4, when, when Jesus, um, or when it's talked about, about Jesus ascending, I realized, well, actually, these, these gifts of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist were post-ascension gifts mm -hmm. and I thought well, that's, that's very interesting it says when he ascended he gave yeah and I think there is a difference between the 12 apostles who not all of whom wrote scripture and other people who weren't in the 12 did write scripture in the new testament yeah but it obviously nevertheless was a feature of many of their ministries and also the fact they're witnesses to the resurrection for sure so they were unique they were pre-ascension apostles mm. which gave them a certain uniqueness but post-ascension apostles seem to be present continuous tense i mean we don't have any problems usually in any whether it's conservative evangelicalism or more sort of charismatic um, uh, Pentecostal sort of um, worlds, we don't have problems with calling people evangelists or pastors or teachers. Yeah. We might even cope with prophets. Uh, so they're all in that same list of post-ascension gifts. So just taking that passage of scripture itself, which talks about those gifts being necessary for the maturing of the church until we reach maturity. Well, we haven't yet, as far as I can tell. Not that I've uh, noticed. Not that yeah. I've noticed. Uh, so you would think, well, they're present continuous gifts. 
I think what often happens is the definition, the the word becomes defined in a way that's unhelpfully unbiblical. And so people react to the definition or the outworking of it rather than to the concept or the a straightforward, I think, a straightforward hermeneutical expositional grasp of the scriptures, I think, leads to a more natural conclusion that apostles continue today than it does lead to a conclusion that they have finished with with um, the death and resurrection of Christ. And I, I think that that is difficult to argue from a purely expository point of view. Yeah. Yes, because you've got the positive case you were just talking about Ephesians 4 that says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip for the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the mm. knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood and so on. Um, so that doesn't appear to have happened. So uh, exactly. presumably Jesus is still giving those gifts, but then yes. you're also sort of saying, and there's nothing, there's no reason to expect those to stop. Um, and that distinction between the 12 apostles and other apostles, I think is quite helpful because in Acts 1, they say, oh, we need to replace Judas with someone who's been with us the whole time. Yes. Um, but you don't, that's not true for Paul and Barnabas is called an apostle as well, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. I mean, there are various, I think Silas as well, I think is designated at some type point mm. and there, there are others. So I, I, I think it is distinguishing between the, the unique role that the 12 have uh, had and then the Ephesians 4 post-ascension Use of, yeah. same use of the word which really just means a sent one someone who's been yeah. commissioned and given a task to do go and do um and it's just it's outworked differently so when paul says you know uh, the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets i think he's talking about new testament prophets and new testament apostles he's not talking about old testament uh he's talking about the way that the church is actually built and it should be built on a function of apostolic ministry and prophetic ministry working together and I think that is an important point to make, that apostles on their own are not the complete package. They mm -hmm. do need particularly prophets working with them at the foundation-laying stage because each church has its own unique calling in God, not just needing the same scriptural and practice foundations, healthy you know, values laying. It also needs to have its, its own unique blueprint revealed uh, prophetically so that then the, there's a context for the apostolic foundations which don't change to be applied into a particular people group um, at a particular time yeah i can see how that those two could come together the sort of the generic stuff from the apostolic and the specific from the prophetic. yes yes yeah. i think so yeah. yeah so do you think god this is a sidetrack but do you think god uses the prophetic to give that kind of shape to churches that sounds like a different kind of thing to 1 Corinthians 14, encouraging and upbuilding people, um, something a bit more directional. Well, I think both, both the, the passage, you know, the verse you've... New Testament prophecy should encourage, strengthen and console. And I think that that applies to at a church level or at an individual level. But I think those, those hallmarks can be achieved directionally as well as... Uh, affirmation or they're forth telling as well as foretelling so I yeah. so I think a church can be greatly strengthened encouraged and consoled by having its unique 
calling, uh, its, its vision revealed prophetically. But the same would be true, you know, when Paul said to Timothy, basically he said, I'm paraphrasing it, live your life in keeping with the prophecies made over you. Yeah. So that by doing that, you'll, you know, run a good race type of thing. So, so he was obviously referring to directional words that Timothy had received, because that's how Timothy could know whether he was on track or not. Am I doing what the prophetic uh, words said to me? So I do think at a corporate and personal level, pro prophecy should be directional um, uh, or it should be informative and directional so that we both know how God sees us, what he views us, what he feels about us, gives us insight into things. But it should also give us a track to run on, uh, which which I think often um, is is where you get the, the two things working together very, very well. Go back to apostles. Uh, what? What is an apostle? What does an apostle do? Is is it someone who's really good at being a pastor who then helps other pastors? Is it a CEO of a multinational? Um, hmm. well, well, I think every there, there's also measures of grace, obviously, that everybody receives who would have that that uh, that calling, and and I do think that fundamentally all of the gifts in scripture i mean I, I i tend to use three sort of categories which are not original to me i can't remember where i learned them but they i've found them quite helpful so there's gifts we receive so gifts of the spirit tongues prophecy healing etc etc there's gifts that we have maybe mercy administration leadership etc romans 12 gifts and then i would refer the ephesians 4 gifts as gifts that some people become and so I think it's bound up with the person, it's bound up with their life, it's bound up with who they are. And I think when Paul made the comment, you have many guardians, but you do not have many fathers, I think there's something um, caught up with apostolic ministry and fathering, which doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be an older person or be a natural father. It just means that the way you view your, the, the churches that you're serving or the people that you're seeking to reach is as a father would about a family that he's caring for. So it's not an organizational role. It's not a pastor of pastors because just because someone's doing well and praise God that they are doing well and maybe leading a church of thousands, it doesn't mean they're an apostle. In some ways you, I would probably say Paul said, you know, we're apostles are at the end of the line, you know, often the sort of scourgings of the earth, they're, they're not the ones who are leading the, uh, or prominent even, because I think their role very much is to um, discover, empower, and release, so that many people probably actually get the credit for what's been done because of the investment that the apostle has made. But the apostle may well, may well move on to other things. He's going to be fathering a family that the family flourishes, not that he gets a bigger platform or you know has his name apostle put on a business card or something like that. I I, I just think the the Western world tends to make celebrity of that word or anyone in leadership in church life. And it's not helpful because it's just the very antithesis 
<clears throat> I think of a biblical model that we see with Paul wasn't a head and shoulders man. He wasn't someone who wanted the limelight. He was very often moving on once things became fruitful. Uh, so I think it's, it can be quite a hidden role. Um, and I think it, it's fathering a family is, is how I sort of look at it in, in, in different ways. And, and you don't necessarily need to be leading a church to be an apostle as well. I mean, I found I couldn't do both. Mm. So I handed over, I'm still an elder, but I, I, I handed over the main responsibilities of the church because I, I didn't have the capacity to, to do both. I mean, some people do, but I just didn't. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's not, it's not a um, kind of top of the pyramid, um, reach the uh, giddy heights of your career role. It's kind of a bit more in the background role. I would say so. I mean, it's not, it's, it's influential. Yeah. So I think it's, but there's a difference between influence and prominence. Yeah. Uh, and that that or there can be a difference I don't like being prominent I don't like being visible um, in some ways you know doing a podcast or whatever I I'm not seeking um, the the visibility that might come with anything I do like mm. that but I am seeking the influence yeah because I think there's something God has entrusted to me that I want to make sure the church has so she's not robbed of her inheritance. Now, whether people forget what I've said or done is irrelevant to me. Whether I'm a good steward of what God has asked me to do yeah. matters. So I want influence, but I don't want prominence. Hmm. I think there's a difference. Yeah, yeah. And so what does that influence look like when we read, you know, we obviously know most about Paul's apostolic ministry in the Bible. Uh, for him, it was lots of traveling around, preaching the gospel, seeing people saved, planting churches. Mm. Um, how, how has that looked in your life or in Morris's life or Steph's life? Yeah, well, everyone, as I say, does have a unique calling. Um, I think I, th th ideally, if apostles can be mobile, so that they can spend longer periods of time in different places. I think that probably helps them have the best use of their gift. Um, for me, that has not worked out practically, uh, more because of health reasons and things within to do with our family. Yeah. So I've had to say to the Lord, well, if you've called me to do this, uh, you're going to have to give me the grace and the almost... Um, you're going to have to give me the grace to do it. And you're also going to have to make it fruitful in a way that it wouldn't naturally be fruitful because I'm not able to do the things as much as I would like mm. to do. Mm. But I think that principle is often how God wants us to be so that we think, well, Lord, unless you do something here, I'm not, this isn't going to work. So I think, um, there were times when Paul was curtailed, imprisoned or restricted. I mean, Philippians, when yeah. he talks about, you know, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And he realized his own confinement at that time had meant others were now going on beyond him, uh, even those with bad motives. He, yeah. he was pretty easygoing about it and said, well, at least the gospel's being preached. So I, I have done a lot of traveling and I've, and I've a lot of traveling. I've been to many countries and I've spent extensive periods of time backwards and forwards. Mm. 
But the one thing I wish I have uh, that Sue and I could have been able to do would to be a bit more located from time to time in different places. But having said that, um, you know, Terry Virgo, uh, he spent some time in the States living for a while. But apart from that, he's been rooted in the UK. Yeah. But he's very much been um, operating the same way as, as, as many of us do living in the West, that we can't just get up and move so easily we have to you know work through others and i think it's finding for me it's about finding people in nations or in situations who either have an emerging apostolic ministry or who can do the delegated work of an apostle because then you can work through someone and if they're indigenous to that culture as well it's even better than you going so i so i've got to i've actually learned i think my philosophy of ministry has changed a bit now that i would want to find now sons and daughters in the nations and then pour whatever I can into them so that they become, um, you know, the gifts that God wants them to be in their particular context. And, um, yeah, I mean, Morris and Steph will have to answer for themselves. I know Morris mm-hmm. and Rachel's, Rachel's plan is to, mm-hmm. to, to spend a pr- prolonged period of time in different European nations. Um, but COVID has rather yeah. messed all of that up, hasn't it? So, yeah. so I think we have to find ways to be fruitful, you know, God will always find a way for the gift to flourish. Just needs a little bit of ingenuity. Mm. Yeah. And how would you characterize that gift? Is it all about starting new churches, or is there more to it than that? No, I think that's. I think that's part of it. It's uh, uh, well, and again, I think some. There are different facets of apostolic ministry. I, I think at heart, <clears throat> an apostle is someone who's been entrusted to steward the gospel. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think is at the heart of it, that someone feels a responsibility from God in their generation to make sure that the gospel is not only protected, but it is um, it flourishes in different contexts and in people's lives. So I remember when God spoke to me first about what I would perceive to be my calling and although I can't it wasn't like audible words the, the the thing that went deep into my heart was this calling that somehow I would play a part within whatever sphere of influence I had to help the church not be robbed of her inheritance those were the words that um that, that settled with me when I was 19 mm. and I'm 59 now and I would say in in those 40 years that that one phrase has been the driving motivation for everything i have done and i'm doing i don't want to see the church robbed of her inheritance but to me that's about stewarding the gospel in its various forms and applying it and contextualizing it and defending it and entrusting it and multiplying it so yeah obviously church planting is part of that but it's not the only thing Mm. and that's that that influence that God's called you to have um, on the prominence. It's the influence of uh, you know, shape, shaping churches, shaping leaders, um, guarding what's important, championing things. Yeah, I trust so. I mean, I think that particularly in the West, I feel more at the moment, perhaps this whole thing of guarding the gospel is, come, is coming quite prominent. Um, 
praise God, there are, you know, there's a number of younger emerging leaders who've got vision and vitality and gifting and whatever. I think that's great to see that happening. Um, I think the gospel is under attack in the West in terms of trying to compromise certain things and, and take away certain things so that they're more palatable. Um, and I, so I feel there is, there is a, uh, a role at the moment to actually make sure we teach people how to handle the scripture, how to believe in the authority of scripture, how to exposit scripture, how to love, cherish scripture and, and build life and community around the scriptures. And I think that's becoming more and more a, a prominent feature that, that every leader will mm. in church life will have to, you know, really be diligent over in the next, next number of years, I would think. Yeah. And how do you see the, um, how do you see that influence working out? Do you, um, would you love it if, if everyone in the church that was under your care agreed with you about everything um do you i've not noticed you handing down dictums uh to eldership <laughs> saying you must all agree with me about this mm. and tell everyone that they, they step out of line um i'm after them uh doesn't appear to me to work like that no i mean it's i mean you, it's, i don't i i suppose paul said i i faced daily my burden of care or anxiety for mm. the churches so i think there is a there is a natural sort of fatherly concern that that you carry whether it's for your own family or for god's family and so you're always hopefully not fretfully but you're always mindful of watching for trends and um winds of doctrine and you know practice or certain things be coming on the radar and you're just mindful of that the whole time i've never ever known it ever be any different you're always mindful there's mm. always stuff floating about and now the you know the advent of social media and all the rest of it that that has become multiplied by thousands so there's so many voices and so many opinions out there i suppose It's influence is is not about whose voice is the loudest. Influence, I think, comes through trust, and trust has to be earned and built, not so much by what you say, but by how you live. Mm. And I think over a longer period of time, people know their fathers and their mothers in the Lord, and sometimes you have to just let people go on a little bit of a journey with some things and they might get into something and you think, well, that's not going to lead you anywhere fruitful, but there's no point stamping on it like mm. sort of whack-a-mole or something like that. You, can, you can't just <laughs> wander around like a fairground hitting people <laughs> over the head with a, with a doctrinal, doctrinal correction. You've got all your churches around you, just keep whacking them as the next one. Next <laughs> no! You can't do that, much as it feels tempting at times. Um, when things, some bad, yeah, really, really bad things are, are, are doing the rounds. I think it's about building stability and influence by by showing your way of life, and that um, then people usually, at some point, will ask you what you think. I think also yeah. Paul Paul was very wise, wasn't he? With with Corinthians, he said. Uh, 
he said, uh, that is why there are disputes among you in order that it becomes clear on whom the grace of God rests. That's a, that's a clever tactician, that is. I mean, that's masterful. That's masterful leadership. Because what he's saying is, actually, I want to just stand back and watch what happens. Because those who've really got not only the anointing calling of God, but actually wisdom, integrity in the scriptures are able to correct themselves, adjust themselves, not be willing to not be unwilling to say, no, I got that wrong. I've now changed the way I think about that. He's watching people and he's saying, I want to just let this roll and see how you handle this. So he's prepared to let people get in a little bit of a pickle mm. so that he can see where there's real grace to self-adjust, lead well, be humble, teachable, learn. Uh, I mean, that's what fathers do. Good fathers. You don't rush in straight away to children when they're, you know, doing wrong. Sometimes you have to just stand back, watch, watch them get in a bit of a pickle, and then hopefully watch them get themselves out of it. Mm. Job done. They've learned the lesson. You haven't had to say anything. That's not abdication. Yeah. It's 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 very very intensive engagement. It's just having the discipline to keep quiet until you need yeah. to say something. Yeah. Wise. Yeah, yeah. Well, one other question on apostles. Um, do you see it as a fathering role as opposed to a mothering role? That's a good question. I do think that I, I'm very keen to promote and honour and celebrate spiritual mothers. I, th- I, I, I put a tweet up on Mother's Day um, saying, you know, basically saying, giving thanks for all the spiritual mothers in my life and noting that Paul himself referred to Rufus' mother and said, you, she's become a mother to me. Now, I don't think that meant she did his washing or made him a nice meal when he was passing through. That meant she'd influenced him. She'd been to him a real source of spiritual nourishment. And he, he was referring to that in a, because there was lots of people who looked after him, but she'd become someone who really influenced him, uh, uh, although he doesn't go into that much detail. And whilst I do believe that fathers have the responsibility in a family to look after that family, that's a, it's not a capability question, it's a, it's a responsibility question. So whether it's in a natural family or in a spiritual family, fathers must take responsibility, must take the pressure, must take the heat, must create security and safety in an environment where everyone flourishes and everyone's honoured and looked after. That's what fathers do. I do think that mothers, spiritual mothers, can, working with fathers or on behalf of fathers spiritually, go and be spiritual mothers to whole groups of churches or to churches or to individuals and i whilst i would be cautious about using the word apostle in terms of a primary responsibility that a woman could carry in that area i do believe that a man or a woman can do delegated apostolic function and role on behalf of a father of a family of churches and i think that is how families should work now that's not an inequality that's just a partnership that i think is how it's supposed to work 
And I think we're blessed. I've been so blessed by spiritual mothers who shaped me. I mean, they've not just mm. given me nice thoughts. They've really shaped me, and I, I am the richer for it. I've come under their authority. I've received their authority and would be very happy to sit under the authority of a godly woman exercising her grace gift to bless me and help me and move me on. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to rearrange the whole authority structure of how God's family works. It's just recognizing there's a grace and an authority on some women and they can shape whole churches and whole movements of churches and praise God for it. Mm. So it's a, it's a difference of responsibility rather than a difference of influence. Yes. Uh, well, um, yes, exactly. They can both be influential to the same degree, maybe some women more prominently, but it's about who before God has been, who has God said, look, I want you to be the protector, the, 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 the one who creates the, the, the safety, the flourishing environment. And I think men generally and apostles as fathers need to take that responsibility for a family of churches. And actually, if they do that well, then both men and women should flourish in great authority um, in lots of different ways and contexts. And I think we've got to um, do better at that, not so much in our principles, but we've got to develop our practice. Uh, and that would be something that I'm, you know, I'm certainly very keen that we that we do. Cool. Well, thank you for letting me uh, grill you about those different uh, things about apostleship. That's fine. Well, that's all for now, but we'll hear more from Mike in the next episode of Informed. Just got interrupted by a small child. That's all right. That can be it. Just got away again. <laughs> <laughs> or left in for laughs. Or left in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, um, go back to, I'll definitely edit this bit because I've lost my train of thought.